Second Peter chapter one, verse three, it says this, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By, the, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we have an opportunity to open up your word. I pray that here in this moment that you would increase and that I would decrease. Now, Father, that you would just use me as a vessel, as a tool. Let your spirit move. Open up our hearts and minds to receive the word of God, that here in this moment, God, that you would uh, have your way, that people would come to a deeper understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he does, and they would leave out of here forever changed. May the words of my mouth meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Well, uh, I'm so thankful to have an opportunity to, to be here. Uh, as, as Pastor Ethan already shared, um, I've known him for, for a number of years. Uh, Pastor Chris as well. Uh, these two brothers have been guys that I've been uh, looking up to for quite some time. And so when we planted a church, we knew that we wanted to be a multi-ethnic body. Uh, and the fact that Ethan and, and Pastor Chris have been helping to, to lead you guys in that as well. Uh, this is what I pray for. I want to see this happen in, at, at Proclamation Church. You saw the video. We've only been around for just a little bit over a year, but we believe that the best is yet to come. And so I want to say thank you for setting the precedent for us, right, for leading, that, uh, setting the stage. We're following your example. Keep after it, okay? Because if you mess up, I don't want to follow that, all right? So <laughs> don't do that, all right? Uh, well, uh, Pastor Ethan shared a little bit about uh, who I am, my family. Uh, one thing that he failed to mention, uh, I am a big fan of Marvel movies. Any, any fans of Marvel movies, people that really love Jesus in here, amen? <laughs> right? I love Marvel movies. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a movie that came out uh, several years ago. Uh, it was Avengers Age of Ultron, right? You guys familiar with that one? Uh, I'm about to share some things, and if you've never watched it, you'll be like, oh my gosh, spoilers, right? It's been out since 2015, so that's your fault, all right? <laughs> Go watch it after this sermon, right? So uh, there's these two beings in this movie, uh, Ultron and Vision, right? These two created individuals that uh, Tony Stark kind of put together and made this thing happen, right? Uh, and they were kind of fighting towards the end of the movie, and Ultron, the bad guy, is talking to Vision, and he's like, yo, why do you care for these humans so much, Right? Why, why do you care for them so much? They are going to mess up. They'll continue to drop the ball. They're faulty. They're going to die off. Why do you care? And Vision says something that's so profound. And as soon as he said, I was like, Psh, that is etched in my brain for the rest of my life. He says that there's grace for their failures. And I was like, dang, Vision. 
That's a whole word, right? There is grace for their failures. And you know, as we were just singing that song, Refiner, right, here in this moment, you know, and I, I leaned over to, to Pastor Ethan and Pastor Chris, and I was like, whew, that's scary to sing. <laughs> Lord, step in, put me through the fire, refine me, right? Because what happens is, as we're going through the fire, if we're honest, there are a lot of things that we still want to hold on to. There's a lot of things that we don't want to give up. Can, can I be real? We family, right? I'm be real with you guys. There are moments in my life where I know I'm called to lead and love my family well, but your boy is selfish. I, I, I want to hold on to what makes me comfortable, right? I know that as a follower of Jesus, as a fellow brother in Christ, I'm called to serve and to love well my other brothers and sisters, but can I be honest? I'm selfish, Right? I want people to serve me way more than I want to serve others. You guys ever been there? Hey, I'm being real. Y'all be real to me, right? You ever been there? Right? You, you find yourself in these spots where you know you're supposed to be doing certain things. You know that you're supposed to be living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But if we're honest, we fail in those moments quite often. And I feel that we need to lean in and listen to the great theologian, Vision, and be reminded that there's grace for our failures because we live in a broken world, family, there's going to be failures that take place. And when we begin to realize that failures are going to happen, that we're going to find ourselves being selfish, where we're going to find ourselves holding on to the things that bring us comfort, we need to find ourselves recognizing that instead of just staying in those shortcomings, putting ourselves in this position of woe is me, that we have an opportunity to look to Jesus. That we have an opportunity to move forward in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That God has called us to mature into the image of Jesus. And we have that opportunity. And we do that by looking at the power and promises of Christ. We do this in our effort anchored in his grace and resting and knowing the work that he started will be completed. And we see that in the passage that we just read in 2 Peter, what it looks like for us to move forward from these weak moments, these moments of failure that we're going to have in our lives. The very first thing that I want us to see as we opened up this text is this. I want us to see that we need to move forward in the power and promises of Christ. Listen, if you are in Christ, you must remember that you are connected to his power, and you have his promises. If you know Jesus, you are connected to his power and you have his promises. I love that this section starts with his divine power, right? That word in the Greek is, is dunamis, which we get our word dynamite from. Essentially what's being said is so powerful, it's so mighty, it's so strong, and that's what we have access to. You know, uh, a couple years ago, um, by a couple years, it was literally two years ago, uh, when we first moved to, to Nashville, uh, we were in a snowstorm, right? Uh, and everything was shut down. All the roads were icy. And, you know, we're in a southern city just like you guys are. So we're not equipped for snow, right? Anytime. Does, does it snow here in Wilmington? Really? Okay. 
All right, all right, well, stick with my illustration then. In Nashville, it snows a little bit, and we ain't ready for that, right? And so uh, this particular snowstorm that, that took place, um, have you guys ever been sitting in your house and your smoke detector decided to play the game, hey, I'm beeping, come find me, right? And it's a game that you never sign up for, right? You never want to play it, but here you are playing the game, right? And so, you know, I'm upstairs, you know, listening to make sure, is it the, is it the smoke detector upstairs? My, my kids are downstairs, you know, at the other ones. And we would hear a beep. And I was like, oh, I think it's downstairs. And my daughter, True, be like, nah, it's upstairs. I'm like, Argh! right? And it was in that moment, I was like, yo, we will never have battery-powered smoke detectors in our house again. We've, we've got to figure out how we can connect it to a wire, connect it to a source, so that the battery will never die, Right? I use that illustration to point out this is what it looks like for us to be connected to Jesus. We are connected to a source. We are connected to something that is never going to let us down, that will never let us die. This is what it means to be found in Christ. Pastor Ethan was talking about this early on. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't transform yourself. You can't will your way to salvation. You can't will your way into the grace, right? You can't work your way to God. You simply can't do any of that. We can't do that. We have to rest and believe that Jesus has done the work for us. We have to rest and believe that he is the one that can do it through his perfect life, through his perfect substitution, his sacrifice on our behalf. He is given the power to save and he's given that to us through his grace, for his glory, and through his power. And it's our belief in that reality that now gives us the opportunity to be made alive. But don't miss this, though. At the end of verse 3, right, we need to see that it begins with God graciously pursuing us, graciously calling after us. Can we stop and process this thought for a second? that the God of the universe looked at us in our sin, looked at us in our mess, looked at us in our failures, and declared mine. Whew. I love that. It, it reminds me, um, in 1973, uh, Willie Hutch wrote a song called I Choose You. You guys know that song? I, I choose you, baby, and I'll tell you why. You guys don't know that song? Oh, I know I got some silky smooth voice up here. I'm like, y'all, I took, I took your breath away a little bit. I know. But I Choose You, right? Love that song. Listen to it. It's a classic, right? And the whole premise of the song, Willie Hutch is singing about this song who, who chooses him, right? He, or he chooses her, and he chooses her based off all these qualities that, that she has, Right? And all throughout the song, he's listing out all these different things. And he says, hey, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. What I love about this is God chooses us. And guess what? We ain't got nothing to add. We got nothing to add to the equation, right? We broke. <laughs> we got nothing to our name. And yet he still steps in and he says, I love you. I want you. I choose you. And that's good news for every single one of us because deep down inside of every single one of us is this desire to be chosen. Am I right? Right? We all had those mini anxiety attacks when we were in middle school, right? And it was during PE and it was kickball and basketball, right? No one in here wanted to be picked last, right? And even as I mentioned that, I see beads of sweat on some of you, right? <laughs> You're remembering that. No one wants to be picked last, right? 
Many of you guys have come from broken homes. You desire so badly to have that relationship with your family restored. Some of you want so badly for your marriage to be where it needs to be, but there's been brokenness. You've been looked over by that job. You've been betrayed by that friend. I can go on and on and on, and every single one of us know that feeling of what it means to not be chosen. Family, let me encourage you that God wants you. He wants you. He, he's stepping in and he's saying, I choose you. He's graciously calling to you. And when he calls, he saves. And when he saves, he sustains. And when he sustains, we will be divine partakers of what it means to grow in Christ and being mature. You want to know what encourages me when I fail often <laughs> is remembering that my growth, even though I have a part to play, we'll see shortly, is that my growth is secure and sustained in Christ through his power, not mine. Resting in his finished work, not mine. And that's a promise that I will be complete in him. Verse four says that he has granted us previous and very great promises. This is the only place in all the New Testament where it talks about promises in this way, that they are very great. And what is that promise? that we will be partakers of the divine nature of Christ. Essentially, fancy way of saying we're going to look like Jesus. Man, I love that. That's a promise, family. Again, it's easy for us to, to, to just see our failures and focus on the failures and forgetting that we will look like Jesus. When God saved you through Jesus, he didn't step in and just say, okay, now go figure it out yourself. He saved you. And the good news is now that he's determined to finish what he started. That's what he does. How can we be so sure of that? Well, we can have confidence by looking through the word of God. You can see story after story after story of God making promises and him fulfilling those promises, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, right? What did he promise? Someone's going to come and going to crush the head of the serpent, right? We see Abraham, what did he promise? Hey, there's going to be generations and generations and children on children for you, right? He didn't see it, but guess what? It came to fruition, right? He, he told David, hey, there's going to be someone that comes through your line that's going to save, right, and redeem and sit on your throne, right? David ain't see it, but what happened? It came too, right? You see, and for us, we now have an opportunity to look back and see that all those promises have been secured, that, that God is faithful to his word. And even though those guys didn't see it, they trusted. And we have an opportunity to trust because we see. It's easy for us to forget oftentimes, but we have an opportunity to rest assured in the promises because it's been secured in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how can we be so sure that God will save us? How can we be so sure that he's going to sustain us? How are we going to be so sure that he will keep us even when we fail and miss the mark? because he's promised to purify those that he chooses. And he'll keep that promise. But we have something better than a single promise, family. We have a track record of the promiser. Amen? It's the who that should fill us with confidence just as much as the what. So rest in knowing that your growth begins firmly in Christ and he will finish what he started. However, it doesn't just end there. We need to see number two here this morning is this. We continue to move forward when we fail with our effort anchored in his grace. Look at verse five. It says, for this reason, right? The reason that we read earlier that he calls and desires us and will be true the promises that he makes. For this reason, 
we now make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, so on and so forth, that whole list there, right? Now, I want to make sure that we remember something this morning, family. Are we secure in Christ if we know Jesus? Are we secure in Christ if we know Jesus? All right? But I want us to hear something today. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean that once we're saved, we just coast through life for the rest of our life. If we want to see growth happen, if we want to move past these failures, there are things that we are going to have to do. But we need to be sure that we remember that it is built already on an existing faith in Jesus, okay? Peter makes this list, but do you notice what the first thing in the list is? Faith. It's faith, right? By identifying faith as the root and the source of all the other items listed that we're going to look at, Peter is pointing back to what he already said in verse 3, that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, okay? This knowledge is the knowledge of Jesus, and we as followers of Jesus only receive that knowledge by faith. So this list that we're going to go through flows out of our faith in Jesus, all right? So Peter says, make every effort to add these things to your faith. Now, my hope here is every time that you listen to someone preach, right, and they just make the statement that I just said, that your ears perk up a little bit and you say, right? You question a little bit, right? I want you to have a better understanding of grace and who God is and what he does, but your salvation is based off grace. It is a gift. So reading the word effort and adding to your faith it should cause you to say, yo, are we creeping into works-based righteousness here? Is, is there something fishy going on here, right? You just told me that through God, I have everything. So how can I add anything to everything, right? That's what you should be asking. And then your boy is going to say, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page. Let's see what he's talking about here, okay? If we break this down a little bit, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I love him, he, he says this. He says, effort does not make God's grace unnecessary. God's grace makes our effort possible, okay? Effort in the faith is not what saves you, but guess what, family? It does prove that you are saved. It's a working faith, and that working faith speaks to what, I, what we need to uh, uh, understand here, that we are connected to something, we're connected to Jesus, and it produces fruit in our lives. So Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He says, it's no use telling a man to farm if he does not have a farm. If he is without land, without seed, without the tools, nothing can be done. But all these are given to us, and therefore, having received them, we are now asked to farm. However, just because you farm, it does not promise a harvest. God makes things grow. God provides the farm. He provides the tools to farm. He gives the seeds to plant. He makes things grow. But the farmer is still involved. There's something that he has to do, and if he does not do it, guess what? There'll be no fruit. What I'm getting at here is this. There is always, always, always an intentional drift towards holiness. It doesn't just happen, right? I want you to hear me say this. Family, you are as holy as you'll ever be because of Jesus has declared you holy, right? Right? That's, that's who we are now. But now what he goes on to say, what, what God says in, the, uh, uh, in 1 Peter, he says, yo, now be holy like I'm holy, right? Essentially, there's this, this practical holiness and positional holiness. Positional, you're holy because I say you are. Practical, yo, don't just go living up in sin. Be holy, right? Is that, are you tracking with me? 
Dope. All right. So this is what he's getting at here. Here's this effort now. We are now called to be positionally, we're holy. Now let's be practical holy. This is what it looks like, this intentional drift. Uh, first thing on the list, virtue. Virtue. When Peter mentions virtue here, he means goodness, moral excellence, right? This points back to verse 3. We're going to keep pointing back to that, that we are to mirror the excellence that we have already been called into by God. Scripture is clear that nobody is born good. I'm going to say that again. Scripture is clear that nobody is born good. I remember uh, my daughter, when she was like two, right? She did something, and I, you know, I said out loud, I said, man, you're a little sinner. And someone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you would say that to the, about your daughter. I was like, well, she a sinner, right? That's her, you know, her mom's child, right? Yes. <laughs> Silly, right? We're born sinners. It's just who we are. Nobody's born good. But here's the beautiful thing about the grace of Jesus now. We have an opportunity to live out what it means to be good because we've tasted and seen what? That the Lord is good. So we've seen goodness, and now he's given us a new heart to live out this goodness. How? Number two, knowledge. Right belief. I want you to, I, I didn't write this down. Uh, for them to put on the screen, but it's in my head now, so we're going to say it, and so write this down, right? Right belief fuels right behavior. Right belief fuels right behavior. When I truly believe and I know and I understand God and who he is, that changes how I operate, right? The word here is epinosis, and Peter is getting at applying knowledge, what you understand, what you've heard, what you've seen, and now how you're called to live, Right? discernment, wisdom, proper application. One of the major ways in seeing this take root is by spending time in God's word, right? See, seeing what he has to say for himself, opening it up for yourself and seeing how you're now called to live. So when you read the Bible, do you see it as a, a checklist opportunity or do you see it as a way to deeper your understanding of God and who he is and growing in that knowledge, growing mature in Jesus Christ? When I open up my Bible, do I view it as a way to shape my singleness or how I'm being married or being a parent or how I'm called to work or how I'm called to live retired, right? Can you say that you have applied knowledge from what God is revealing to you through his word? And you may say, well, I don't really spend time in God's word, right? I don't do it, so I don't have that type of knowledge. Well, that leads us to the next item that Peter walks through, self-control. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Peter, but Peter was one of the most impulsive people in the New Testament, <laughs> right? He was always the disciple who was, you know, saying things before thinking about it, right? Just blurting it out. My man was called Satan by, by Jesus, right? Out here, you know, was trying to step in and say, Jesus, you ain't got to die. And Jesus looked at him, boy, Satan, get, get behind me, right? He out here cutting people's ears off, right? <laughs> cursing at the fire. I don't know Jesus, right? Peter was wild. And now he has the audacity to say, hey, practice self-control. <laughs> who do you think you are, Peter? I'll tell you who he thinks he is, a transformed son of God. Look at what the spirit can do. <laughs> that this cussing, cutting up man can be transformed to say, hey, self-control, this is what it looks like. 
because I've seen what, it, what, it's, what it's done for me. He's saying, now live this out. Let his testimony encourage us that the Holy Spirit is constantly working in the life of his people. That the failure that I, we mentioned earlier, the thing that you may think about, the stuff that you go to, right? That the Holy Spirit is still working to rid you of that. That the Holy Spirit will put you to the fire to refine that thing. That he's going to transform those that he loves, those that belong to him. Where do you need to practice self-control in your life? Are you able to walk away from that purchase? Are you able to turn your phone down or put your phone down longer than 30 minutes? Are you able to get off of social media? Are you able to look at that dessert and commit to a healthier lifestyle? Are you able to say no to that toxic relationship? Where is God calling you to have self-control in your life that you need to uh, uh, put it in practice? Oftentimes, there's this divide in what we know, knowledge, right, and what we're called to do. Self-control bridges that gap. And so moving forward, we see this, steadfastness. This means that we don't quit, we persevere. We keep going forward even when we feel like throwing in the towel, even when our failures keep coming, even when we continue to drop the ball. We persevere, and that's where self-control comes in. Man, how quickly do we give up? When things aren't going our way, how quickly do we be like, nah, I'm good on this. And we jump right back into our stuff. We can persevere because of the hope that we have in Christ. You see, there's something beautiful about moving forward in the face of discouragement that speaks to the hope that we have in Christ. That our situations, although they may be difficult, cannot be compared to the eternal glory that's coming our way. And praise God for that. Where do you need to press on today, family? Where do you feel like giving up right now? That right now the Spirit is calling you to keep pushing forward. Because whatever it is, when you compare that to the hope of glory coming your way through Christ, it changes the game. Which leads to this, godliness. Brief definition of godliness. Godliness is a life that centers itself on God. Pretty simple, right? A life that is centered on God. I love how the next two seem to flow out of this. Because here's the thing, when we practice godliness, it speaks to our love for God. And when our love for God, vertical, is where it needs to be, we see it spread out horizontal to those that we come into contact with. Look at the next two, brotherly kindness. Essentially, this speaks to looking outside of ourselves, looking to serve and to care for one another. I love the one another's. We just uh, finished a one another ser uh, series this summer at Proclamation Church. And we looked at what does it look like for us to be intentional with those that are around us? One another, brotherly kindness. Can I ask you a question? Where are you not being helpful in the body of Christ? I can say that because I'm going on a plane later, right? <laughs> I may not come back. I don't know. Hey, I'll come back if you let me. Huh? Where are you not being helpful in the body of Christ? Where are there needs where you have an opportunity to step in and instead of thinking someone else can do it, you can step in and say, here I am to do it. Like, yeah, I love that there's teams here serving kids, opening up doors, parking cars, all that stuff. But there are other needs as well. There are brothers and sisters who are hurting. There are brothers and sisters who are struggling. There are brothers and sisters who have needs and we have to be willing and able to step in to meet those needs. But here's the thing, 
Now, this is what it means to be the family of God, right? The church isn't like a family. It is a family. When I'm going through stuff, right, I have to be open and honest about what I'm going through so that people can help me. We can't just be holding on to stuff, right? We've got to be real. We've got to be vulnerable. This is what the church is for. We can't just sit here and be like, all right, entertain me. It's like, no, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. This is my sin. This is my shortcoming. Let's show brotherly kindness. Let's meet those needs. God has given us all time, talent, treasure. How are we using that for the glory of God? Which leads to my last thing on the list, love. It makes me sad, which leads me to what I was literally just talking about. It makes me sad when people look at the church and they say that the church is full of hypocrites. And can I be honest? They're right. We do not show the love of God the way that we've been called to do. It's, it's a shame that 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour. It's a shame. And it has absolutely nothing to do with legislation either. But oftentimes it has everything to do with what's going on in our heart. We don't love well because we don't know how to love well. As soon as something someone bucks against uh, a, a political idea or, or some ideology that we hold on to that we have idolized, man, we cast that person off. And here's the thing. Cancel culture in the church, that ain't Christian. There, I, I, can, I can be able, I should be able to sit across from someone that I disagree with politically and still love them well because that's my brother in Christ. I should be able to have a conversation with a, a, a card-carrying member of the NRA and still love them well, and they love me well. I should be able to sit across from someone who only eats salad, right? <laughs> There's a good steak that I can introduce you to, family. Our differences shouldn't divide. That's what makes the multi-ethnic church so beautiful because there's beauty in diversity. And we're putting that love on display. God is calling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ while at the same time calling us to love the world too. Why? Spoiler alert, God is love. Now catch this. We, look, we can look at all this and say, well, I'm good here. I got to work on this here. But I want you to catch this, all right? In Christ, you already possess these qualities. You ready for this? You already possess these qualities. You just need to now apply them. And he says, in effort. How can I say that? Remember verse three? <laughs> We're gonna keep going back to that, right? We keep looking at that. God's power has provided us everything, it says, that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. Not only that, look at the beginning of verse 8. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Let's stop there. Peter is implying that we already possess all these qualities. The issue isn't do we have them or not. The issue is are we growing and demonstrating those things? These qualities are to be ever increasing in their influence in our lives as disciples of Jesus. There's no such thing as simply lounging in the spirit. There should be constant growth, constant awareness, constant looking more like Christ. Why? Because if these things are increasing, the second part of verse 8 says this, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you lack self-control, if you give up easily, if you are hypercritical of other believers, you're going to be ineffective, is what he says. So when we add these things, when we put every effort into seeing these things be a part of who we are, they get us in the game. They allow the, the, the unbelieving world, if you will, to look around and see that there is something different, right? They keep us from being stagnant. Not only that, they help us to remember where we've come from. Look at verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I love that. I love that. Essentially what he's saying is, uh, um, I don't like broken bones, okay? Another thing about me. I don't like broken bones. I will pass out, right? If I see that, if your body has been in the way that God didn't intend it, mm, I, get, I get weak need, right? Every time I see something like that, I just, I just wince a little bit, right? Could you imagine if I like just live life wincing all the time and looking away, right? I'd have a hard time functioning, right? I couldn't do anything. We can't operate in that way. Family, we as followers of Jesus, we run the risk of being blind, constantly looking away when we don't remember where we came from. When we forget what we've been forgiven of. When we forget that Jesus had to give us the ability to see this list play out in the first place. King David, he understood our tendency to be forgetful. That's why he wrote Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all the benefits. We are quick to forget the grace that we've experienced in Jesus. You see, when we remember his grace, it pushes us to live for him and to see our lives transform to look like Jesus. I'm almost out of time. I need to hurry up. Last point. I'm, I'm out here preaching, bro. I need to chill, all right? Last point. Move forward knowing you'll be completed with Christ. I want to land the plane with this. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Again, this seems odd, right? Remember what I just said? Is, is this works-based righteousness, right? Have you ever tried calling yourself on your own cell phone? Seriously, have you ever tried doing it? What happens for those who've tried it? Maybe I'm just bored all the time. I've done it, right? <laughs> I've tried calling myself. It goes straight to your voicemail. You can't complete a call to yourself, right? You ever tried voting yourself in? into some like election or something like that, right? No, I didn't do it either, but I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you can't do it. You can't do it. Someone else has to vote you in, right? <laughs> There's a point in me saying this stuff. I know that sounds so stupid, but... <laughs> Listen, your being called or elected rests completely on God, right? This is what I'm getting at here, right? It rests on God, but we should have assurance about belonging to him. We should be able to see the effects of his grace in our lives. The qualities point to that. And he goes on to say this, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You'll never fall. All right, landing the plane here, all right? Going back to what I shared at the very beginning of the sermon, Peter doesn't say that you will never fail. He says you'll never fall. That's important here. There are going to be moments in the Christian life here, family, where you will fail. You're going to mess up. Some of us will mess up royally. However, in your failing, you need to know that if you are in Christ, you will never fall away. Why? Because of the grace given to you in your failings. Because of the grace extended to you 
You see, someone who's, who is secured in Christ by his grace will notice the areas of their life that need to be sanctified. And they'll say, hey, purify me. Clean my hands. Purify my heart. This is where I'm at, Jesus. I see those areas and I want you to clean them up because I want to look more like you. Be the refiner here. And when we pray that, when we live that out through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will rid us of those things. Listen, if you find yourself regularly living for the things that Jesus had to die for, there's something to question. Are you actively demonstrating unregenerate qualities with no desire to change? Because when it comes to the things of faith, there are four types of people. The first one is this, unsaved people who know they are unsaved. Essentially, you know, hey, I, I simply just don't have a relationship with Jesus. There are saved people who are unsure if they're saved. And essentially, they have a relationship with Jesus, but because they mess up, often they doubt their salvation. There are saved people who know that they are saved. These are the ones who are living out in this grace, knowing when they drop the ball, knowing when they fail, that they can run, that they can repent, and forgiveness is waiting for them. They know it's only by grace that they are saved, not based off their works. And there's one last group that's super scary to be in. Unsaved people who think they're saved. These are your moral religious people, the ones who serve in the church. They don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang with people that do. You know what I'm saying? That because they haven't murdered or been sleeping around or anything like that, they've lived a good enough life that's going to be good enough for them to be in heaven. Out of those four people, where are you today? Where are you today? How can be you, you can be sure if you'll never fall away? Well, I'll answer this question with a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? You see, when we love Jesus, we desire to be obedient to him and what he's calling us to do. When we love Jesus, we despise that we disobey him and we'll fight to see our affection for him and our heart grow. You see, the person who will fall away is the one who has no affection for Jesus in their heart whatsoever. The only way to have that love is to be transformed by the Spirit. Only if we are born of the Spirit is a love for the biblical Christ awakened in which it secures us in what's to come. Verse 11 says this, For in this way, there'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Family, all this work, all this striving, all this effort, it's worth it. Family, listen, if you know Christ, you will be presented mature. Will be. That's a promise. When that day comes, it says that there will be a rich welcome. The gains that you will receive in heaven are well worth the losses here on earth. The things that you're having purified, the things that you're giving up, well worth it. However, our entrance into heaven goes into effect in the here and now. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing and he says that you're going to receive a reward, but others will enter in suffering loss. <laughs> I love it. He goes on to say, through, uh, save through entering through flames. Essentially, there are going to be people that come in and be like, holy cow. <laughs> I made it. I smell a little, little like smoke. <laughs> I got some holes in my shirts. My knees are a little dusty. 
but I'm here. And I feel like that's going to be every single one of us that know Jesus. Because there are going to be a lot of moments of failure in our lives. But Romans 8 is clear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those moments of failure don't define you. They don't mark you. You are defined and marked by the love of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to grow and to move forward. Let's be thankful for what Christ has done for us. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we have an opportunity to, again, open up your word, to see what you've done. I pray, God, in this moment that we would remember that through your spirit, you are working in us, that there are going to be these moments where we do fail. But because of your grace, because of your love, because of your secure, our secured setting in you, we'll never fall away. So because of that, refine us, change us, clean us up for your glory. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.